Let me ask this question. What is the measure of success for a Christian? What is the measure of success for a Christian? And even further, what is the measure of success for a church? Think about this. A missionary struggles for decades in a desolate corner of the world with seemingly little outward or spiritual success. Is this missionary a failure or is he successful? A Christian goes about her day seeking to live for Christ. She works hard. She serves in her church. She supports her husband. She influences her children toward Jesus. Is this Christian a success or is this Christian a failure? In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus commended the church at Philadelphia for their faithfulness. And today as we understand from Scripture, our success is uh, based upon our faithfulness. God does not base our success on the response that people give us. He bases our success on the faithfulness we exhibit towards living for Him and sharing Him and, among others, having compassion for the lost, which we just heard from our choir. Revelation 3. Would you begin turning there in your Bibles? And as you do, would you stand with me as we uh, read God's Word together? I'm reminded of a, uh, a story I heard one time of a little boy came to the pastor. He said, Pastor, why do we have to stand to read the Bible? Uh, can't God hear us if we're sitting down? Well, the answer is yes. God can hear you anywhere. And yes, it's perfectly fine to sit down and read the Bible. Uh, it, it, I love the opportunity, though, to stand uh, as a show of reverence for, uh, for God and for His Word and the fact that we take His Word very seriously. Anybody amen that this morning? We take His Word very seriously. Revelation 3, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 13. I'm just going to read the first couple of verses there uh, in Revelation 3. Here's what it says. Jesus speaking. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, on this day, make us mindful of success as a Christian and as a church. Make us mindful, Lord, that we're not to compare ourselves to other people. We're not to compare ourselves to other churches. We're simply to concern ourselves with being faithful to you wherever we are and with whatever assignment that you've given us. Lord, we're going to talk about the open door that you gave the church there in Philadelphia. And we pray also, Lord, that we might see any open doors you put for us right here at Ridgecrest. Lord, we pray that today your word would speak to us, that it would not return to you void, and that it would accomplish your will in our hearts, our lives, and this church as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, let's get that straight, but uh, Philadelphia over in Asia Minor. Philadelphia literally means, in the Greek language, city of brotherly love. In fact, uh, transliterated, it literally means brotherly love city. Phila comes from the Greek word phileo, which is a brotherly love, and then Delphi, Greek word meaning city. So city of brotherly love there in Asia Minor. One of the cities which housed a church, one of the seven churches Jesus addressed in the book of Revelation. Very important uh, that he would choose this church. And along with the church at Smyrna 
one of only two of the churches to receive no rebuke and no consequences for their wayward actions. So this church is not rebuked, it is only commended, and they are commended for their faithfulness. Juan Sanchez of Nine Marks Ministry says this about the church. The majority of churches in the world are not large. They're quite small and unimpressive in the world's eyes. If you're tempted to compare your church to other churches of good name and large influence, you'll be in danger of becoming discouraged because of a lack of visible success. And then he says, we must continually remind ourselves that God values our faithfulness to Him. God is looking not for the results. The results are up to Him. He's looking for the faithfulness in us to live out our faith that He might use it to reach the nations with the gospel of Christ. Juan Sanchez goes on to say, He looks at our hearts, not the size of our congregations, not the number of our baptisms, not the amount of our budgets. And then he says, Don't be discouraged. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. The message and the measure of our success, yours and mine, is our faithfulness to God. Let me ask you this morning, if you had to put a, a numerical grade on your faithfulness, what would that number be? I don't want you to tell me or anybody else, but in your heart and in your mind, as you think about your level of faithfulness to the Lord through faith in Christ, through growing in your faith, through living out your faith, through serving because of your faith, through giving uh, back to the Lord of your time and your talents and your treasure, through, through seeking to influence others with the gospel, what grade would you give yourself? And even probably more accurately, what grade do you think the Lord would give you as far as your relationship goes to Him? Well, thankfully, we're not left just to be faithful on our own. This passage demonstrates that the Lord gives us at least five resources to help us in our faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I need all the help I can get. Anybody else like that? I need all the help I can get in life in general, <laughs> but also in my spiritual life. I can't do it on my own. I need help. And there are five resources available to each of us and to our church regarding our faithfulness. I'd like to point them out to you all too quickly this morning. The first thing I want you to notice in verses 7 to 8, and that is that the church has the resource of Jesus. Jesus himself is your resource and my resource for our Christian faith, our Christian living, and for the success of this church. Uh, Jesus here calls himself, notice, the Holy One. He is set apart for the purposes of God. He calls himself the True One. He is pure, and in him is nothing false. He calls himself the one who has the key of David, which indicates he has the authority, supreme authority over all things. He calls himself the one who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. No one can stand against the will and the power of Jesus. Isn't that good news this morning? It's not about us, and we have a resource that is there to strengthen us and to help us. And notice in verse 8, Jesus this one who is all-powerful, who is our resource, he says to each of us, he says, I know your works. I know what you're doing. I know your circumstances. Notice also the second resource that we have in verse 8, and that is that the church has an open door. 
the Lord has given to the church, not only at Philadelphia, remember the churches in Asia Minor, the churches of Revelation 2 and 3, are there historical churches that Jesus addressed, but they're there as a message to all churches of all time and all places. And just as the Lord is saying to the church in Philadelphia, I've given you an open door, He's saying to the church at Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina, I've given you an open door. We should be reminded that the one who opens what no one can shut is also the one that shuts what no one can open. So if the Lord opens it, guess what? There's no government agency, there's no opposition, there's no spiritual force that can ever shut the door when the Lord opens it. That's good news. And likewise, there's no one that could ever open a door when the Lord Himself has shut that door. I want you to think with me about open doors. And, and I would remind you this morning that open doors mean there are doors of opportunity, doors of ministry, and doors of witness. Doors to take the gospel, open doors to take the gospel to people who have not yet heard it, and even to take the gospel to those who have heard it perhaps over and over and over again. And maybe they've responded, maybe they've not responded, but we have an open door. And the problem in many churches, as I'm reading literature right now, as, as part of my study for these messages, I'm reading literature about the church. Some magazine articles, some, some resources from our Southern Baptist Convention, some books that are written about churches. And, and, and over and over again, I'm hearing the same thing, which is the problem in many churches is that the focus is so much on themselves that they fail to see the open door the Lord has put before them. One of the reasons so many churches, as I've mentioned every week, are closing up their doors and dying is not because the Lord is not able and it's not because they don't have the resources. It's because they're not pursuing the open door that the Lord has given them. They choose instead to focus inwardly. And that can become a big problem. Tom Rayner, speaking of our Southern Baptist resources, Tom Rayner, the head of Lifeway Christian Resources, of our Southern Baptist Convention has written an article called Why Your Church Needs to Quadruple Its Outreach Efforts. Speaking of the open door the Lord has put before us across time, but so much in this day and time, there's an open door and there are churches that are refusing to follow and go through the open door that God has given to them. See, sometimes churches get it backwards. We say as a church, well, our doors are open to anybody that wants to come in. And that should be true at all times, right? Our doors are open. But the Lord doesn't just intend for us to open our doors and say, y'all come. He opens the doors for us into our community. And He says to us, now you go through the open door to reach them and bring them back into the open door there at your facilities. That's how He calls us to do. So Tom Rainer says, why your church needs to quadruple its outreach efforts. Number one, many churches are in distress and they need a shock to the system. And that's true. Many churches are in distress. He says, we must reallocate our church's resources of money, of activities, of programming, of people, of focus, and of staff. And I'm challenging our church leadership regularly, our deacons and our church staff, to be thinking about ways that God would lead us to reallocate, to be better in line with the open door that He puts before us. Secondly, he says, cultural Christianity is dead. Now let me define cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity was a generation ago or two generations ago or when some of you were growing up and the generations that were above you. We lived in a nation then where it was culturally acceptable and advantageous to call yourself a Christian whether you were or not. It made a, it made a positive, it spoke positive things about you if you were identified as part of a church and as a Christian. We don't live in that day and time anymore. 
And so because it's no longer advantageous to identify as a Christian, even when you're not, people are not identifying as Christians. And listen, that's a good thing because it's keeping those people that are Christians in name only, it's keeping them out so much and allowing us who are believers to live an authentic Christian faith and hopefully reach the world out there. Thirdly, he says, outreach by invitation is on the rise. Think about this. Outreach by invitation is rising. We've been told for, for several decades now that, that people won't respond to, to the church. They won't respond to, to an invitation by somebody. But, but surveys are showing over and over and over again that the number one reason why people that are not believers come to become believers, the number one reason why people that are not in church are coming to church is because somebody that they know, love, or trust invites them to come. Do you know how easy that is? Let me give you an example. Al, pretend like you're my friend and you don't go to church. It's hard. It's hard, I know. The first part's hard, I know, yeah. <laughs> now watch this. Al, I'd like to invite you to come with me to Ridgecrest Baptist Church on Sunday. Bam. Was that easy or what? Was that easy or what? You're amazed at how easy I made that look, right? It's simply inviting somebody that you know, somebody that you love, somebody that you trust. And over and over again, surveys are showing the number one reason that people that are not believers become believers, people that are not in church come to church, is because of that simple invitation to come and join me, sit with me, I'll show you around, I'll take you where you need to be. Easy, inexpensive, and successful. Think about that, if you will. Number four, there is still receptivity to the gospel. That's what Tom Rainer says. There's still people that respond to the gospel. Do you know why people respond to the gospel? It's not because of the eloquent words of a pastor. It's not because of great programming in the church. They, provide, they respond to the gospel because the Holy Spirit of God, through the Word of God and the proclamation of the truth of Scripture, grips their heart and draws them to faith in Christ. And that can take place in a personal conversation. That can take place in a Sunday school connect group. That can take place in a worship service on a Sunday morning. It can take place at your office, at your home, at your job, at wherever you happen to be. That can take place, and people are still receptive to the gospel. Tom Rainer says this also. Most declining churches don't lack resources. They lack obedience. This is an ouch moment. It's not that we don't have the resources, but that we don't have the obedience that God is calling us to have. Then Tom Rainer says this, Churches who invite people to attend are churches who have guests who come. It really is that simple. That's what I just, I just demonstrated with Al. It really is as simple as, do you know somebody? Would you invite somebody? I can remember being a young believer and having a burden for my family to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and experience the same thing I had. I tried to witness to my mom, and I bombed it bad. At the end of my bombing that witnessing opportunity with my mom, you know what I said to her? You need to come to church <laughs> and talk to my youth pastor. She did. And she became a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So even when I was not able to articulate the gospel, in my ability to articulate a simple invitation... And eternal life was changed. 
And that's not just true in my life and in my family. It's true in many of your own circumstances. And it can be true in the life and circumstance of so many other people. I have to rush a little bit more than I want to. So let me move on. Uh, The church has an open door number two. The third resource, the church has a little power. We've got a little power. Notice what Jesus said. I know that you have but little power. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of power is all you have there in your church. Nothing to brag about. Nothing to write home about. Nothing earth-shattering happening because of your power. But David Jeremiah says this. Many churches today think there are too few people, too little money, too few gifts, and too few opportunities. But he says, remember this truth. When we are weak and little, Christ is strong and big. And building the church of Jesus is not up to us. We depend on the head who gives strength to the body. In Philippians 4.13, Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, I can do all things. What can I do? Say it with me. All things. Say it again. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Do you know how much strength it takes? How much faith it takes for great things to happen? Just a little bit. Just enough to latch on to the power source that created all of creation by the spoken word and and redeems all who call upon his name. That's all it takes. The church has a little power. Number four, the church has the word of God. We've got the word of God. We've got the Son of God, and we've got the Word of God. We've got the power of God. All of that are resources for this and every other church. We've got everything we need. We've got everything we could ever hope for. There's nothing more out there that we don't have that we could use as a church. Jesus says in verse 7, the words of the Holy One describing Himself. Verse 8, He says, you have kept my word. And verse 10, He says, you have kept my word about patient endurance. You have been faithful to hear my word, to believe my word, to read my word, to grow in my word, to act on my word, and it is sustaining you and strengthening you. The church has the word of God. Number five, the church has faithfulness. Faithfulness. There's no church that is so dead, as we talked about last week. There's no church that is so dead that there cannot be one or two or hopefully more than a few faithful members of that church. Notice in verse 9, Jesus said, even in a, it talks about even in a city with a group called the synagogue of Satan of all things. You know, of all the cities in North Carolina, Durham is one of the most diverse, not only racially and ethnically and educationally and in sports and everything else, but one of the most diverse cities religiously. The number of different religions represented right here in the triangle. And then there are some places we might could go to places. You might know these places. I could probably tell you of some places that might be called comparable to the synagogue of Satan or the den of Satan or Satan is alive and well in, t- in places all around where we live. You know that, right? You know that. I don't have to tell you. But even in a city in Philippi, it had a group called the synagogue of Satan. The church was still faithful. Verse 8, Jesus said, you've not denied my name. You've openly proclaimed that I am your Savior. Verse number 11, you hold fast to what you have. You're holding on to what has been given to you. The church has faithfulness. I want to encourage you, as we shared last week especially, regardless of your spiritual condition of our nation, regardless of what denominations are doing, regardless of what churches are doing, regardless of what other people are doing, I want to challenge you to determine to be faithful no matter what anybody else does. That's what was happening there in Philippi. And then lastly, the church has a reward. There is a reward for faithfulness. There's a reward for faithfulness. 
When we are faithful, we find success. And when we find success, we find the reward of Christ. I want you to notice five rewards that we find here in verses 9 through 12. <coughs> Verse 9, victory over oppressors, those that will come against us. Jesus said, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. What is it that gives us victory? The love of Christ gives us victory even over those who would oppress us. Number two, delivery from judgment. Verse 10, Jesus says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. We are delivered from the judgment of God. Number three is security. Notice in verse 11, Jesus said, I'm coming soon. And because of that, hold fast. Hold on. And then he says this, so that no one may seize your crown. You've got a crown. You've got a reward. And there's security in that. Number four, we have the reward of eternal life. Verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. Never will we be, will we be taken out of the presence of God. Will be a, as a pillar, as a, as a long-standing, as a permanent part of God's eternal kingdom. And then notice the fifth thing. I think also in verse 12, uh, and that is identity. Our identity will be Christ himself. I will write on him, he says, the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and my own new name. So as a pillar in, the, in, in eternity, we're going to have a label on us. Just if you would go up to a, a telephone pole that's got all these staples in it, you've seen those? Because everybody's stapling signs on there. So we're going to be like that telephone pole, and on us it's going to have the name of God, the name of Jerusalem, the heavenly city, and the name of Jesus on us. But even better than a telephone pole are one of these marble columns. You ever seen those big marble columns? And it's not something that's temporarily stapled on, but something that is permanently etched in. And etched into us for all of eternity will be our identity as belonging to God, belonging to heaven, and belonging to Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. That's a great reward as well. And I'll end it this way with the invitation that is there for all the churches. And it's there for you and I even yet today. Verse number 13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is saying to people of all time, to churches everywhere, to this church and to you and I. He's saying this. Listen. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Are you listening to my words? Don't let them bounce off your head. Don't let them go, what they say, in one ear and out the other. Listen and respond in faith and obedience. In the bottom of your listening guide, I put this note. If we want to be commended by Christ for faithfulness like this church at Philadelphia, we will go through open doors of ministry. We look for those doors and we see the doors and we follow through them as the Lord leads. We depend on His strength and we are true to Him and to His Word. Let me ask you this morning, what does that mean for you? What does it mean for you to look at the open door? For you, is it the open door to minister to somebody close by? Is it an open door for you to come to Christ and to come to faith in Jesus? Is it an open door to serve or to give or to be a part of something bigger than yourself that the Lord is opening up that will have eternal consequences? Are you willing to do the things that God would have you do? To make any adjustments in your life, of your time, or your resources that God would have you to make? And to use it for His glory? And to one day receive the reward that comes 
from faithfulness. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray, and then as I pray, we're going to sing. We're not going to sing long. We're going to sing just a verse or two of a song. And it's your opportunity to respond. You can respond anytime. You can go home after church and respond. You can get, get there at your bed tonight and respond anytime. But, but perhaps right now, somehow, someway, God would call you to respond where you are, or perhaps someone to encourage you or pray with you. I'll be available here at the front and be glad to speak to you, even as we sing. But Jesus' words are strong. Listen to what I'm saying. Respond in faith and obedience.